Hey, welcome to the second episode of this podcast, which still doesn't have a title. Um, my name, again, is Lucas McNally. I used to be a crowdfunding consultant, and now we're going to try to figure out what the fuck is going on and what the fuck we're supposed to do as uh, creatives in this rather stressful time. Um, last week, we talked to Marty Lang. His campaign is at 25% which is a very good sign. It's on Seed and Spark, so go check that out. The link is in the comments or in the description there, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, so just to give you a sense of where we are, we're recording this. I'm recording this on Saturday from my house, Saturday, April 4th. Um, they say that in weird times like this, you're supposed to sort of keep track of the changes. Um, so yesterday or the day, day before, they said that, the CDC said that we should start wearing masks out in public just to go to the grocery store or whatever, um, which is very weird. And so now my wife is working on making those and the whole thing is is very surreal. Um, all right, so, but this week we're gonna talk to um, Brie Castellini from Seed and Spark. She's the community fund manager, the film community manager there. Um, it's one of the, one of the cooler crowdfunding platforms. And so without further ado, here's my discussion with Brie. Okay, we're talking with Brie Castellini, who is uh, speaking via Zoom, but with audio only. So um, she can't see how messy my office is, which is very helpful. Um, thanks for joining me, Brie. Uh, Brie is the Seedon Sparks Film Community Manager. I am, and to be clear, you can't see how messy my bedroom is, but I can certainly see how messy your office is. Oh, you can see just me. Just because, oh. yeah, I can see you. You just can't see me. That makes this a really fun energy where I know uh, everything and you know nothing. All right. That's good to know. <laughs> so It's, it's important to establish power in the yeah. beginning of a podcast interview, and I feel like I'm winning so far, so I'm really happy yeah. about that. I appreciate you telling me that, so I didn't, like, like flip you off or anything, you know? <laughs> Uh, I knew it was coming, and, but you know, I wanted you to know that I could see when you yeah. inevitably flip me off at some point during this recording. Emily has clearly told you about me, um, <laughs> for I have a reputation. Um, all right, so first of all, what is a film community manager? Let's just That's start a with great that. Question. <laughs> uh, so, as far as I know, that title did not exist anywhere. Um, certainly not at Season Spark. Essentially, what it means is that, uh, in light of us starting to expand our crowdfunding to storytellers of all kinds, um, just because we are not focused on film anymore doesn't mean that film isn't still a huge part of our, you know community. So they brought me in to kind of continue to manage the film partnerships, outreach, and crowdfunding efforts as the other parts of the company started to expand and, and spend a little more effort on uh, other kinds of storytellers. They, they needed somebody to kind of keep everyone who is already part of our community happy and moving forward and getting the resources they need. So like the day-to-day -day right. of my job is I do a lot of outreach to film schools and programs, to film organizations, and talk to them about, um, you know, offering educational opportunities to their membership, offering educational workshops and consultations to their membership, and I do uh, half of all feedback on our platform. So anytime someone submits a campaign to Seed and Spark, uh, somebody on the team, usually me, um, but also my colleague, Brandy Payne, who is incredible. We go through every single campaign individually, 
section by section and offer feedback. So I'm, I'm one of the two people who does that. I also teach classes sometimes. I teach our crowdfunding and art of the pitch workshops. Used to be in person, but now largely like this. Not virtually. so much. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. Okay. So that was, you hit like four things in my notes, which is nice. Um, <laughs> so part of it is you guys like approve. So if you were to go, like people are more familiar with Kickstarter, for example, or Indiegogo, mm -hmm. you would go to Kickstarter. They like the first time you do a campaign, they sort of vet you. And then after that, they're like, yeah, you know what's going on. So do whatever. So, but you guys, your process is a little different where if like, if I come to you with this project, then you guys go over it right with a pretty fine tooth comb. Yes, yeah. So there, there's a couple of different sections on the Seed and Spark campaign page, similar uh, to Kickstarter and Indiegogo. I think we just have like one and like a half more sections than than they do. And we mm -hmm. go through each one of those sections: your pitch video, your wish list, which is what calculates your crowdfunding goal, your story section, the kind of big text section at the front, uh, incentives and inclusion statements. And we offer feedback and support and resources to help you strengthen each of those sections so that by the time you launch, you have like the strongest possible materials on every level of your campaign. Uh, we also try to make sure that we are offering outreach support and like help with, you know, what your outreach plan is and strategy is so that you're not like launching under the assumption that if you build it, they will come, which I think is right. the assumption that most people make not just for crowdfunding but also just for like marketing their filmmaking work and storytelling work in general they're like i have a great idea people will love it but that it's just not that simple anymore there's too much content out there so that's also a big part of the feedback process is especially once we know what their goal size is how much money they're looking to raise we can give them really actionable advice based on like what they need to accomplish that and how we can help uh, them set up like their schedule of events and their promotional materials and that kind of stuff to make sure that that is a realistic goal to reach. So, okay, so if someone comes to you and they're like, I want to do, I have no background and I have no <laughs> Twitter presence and I have nothing and I want to raise a half a million dollars, which is when I was a consulting, that I would get those emails, you know, yeah. and I'm like, and I would go, Dude, that's not gonna happen. I don't like what do you do? What do you do with those people? You just say, do you just pretend you didn't get the email? Like do you, <laughs> do you, you tell them to go pound sand? Yeah, plausible deniability. We didn't yeah. see it. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, no, so we we respond to everyone who submits to our platform. And for the most part, people uh go through the full process with us. It's rare that people drop off once they've submitted because like when we give them feedback, it's it's not like this is bad, do it again. It's like hey, these are the elements of this portion that could be better. Uh, mm -hmm. For the question that you're asking, like the really high goal people who based on what they've told us don't really seem to have the audience or like background to raise that amount. Mm -hmm. uh, what we do is we give them the feedback that we would give anyone else. You know, we go through their, their page and look at their materials, but then we also at the top of their feedback that they get, give them kind of a breakdown of um, the statistics that we know to be true about like the size of your email list and social following versus your goal size. And so we give them like a formula that they can do themselves so that they can see themselves like how they're stacking up based on right. the available data that we've gathered. And then we also say, you know, so like look through this, evaluate if this makes sense. 
Uh, and then if you, you know, if you'd like to lower your goal, perhaps through, you know, raising in stages, so just raising for like pre-production or something right now, or perhaps like lowering your, your goal overall to see if you can make this project more cheaply, then feel free to resubmit and we'll continue the feedback process as normal. Uh, if you are still looking to raise this amount, you're gonna need to submit to us an outreach plan. And so we give them some like sample questions that they need to answer uh, as if they need like a place to start with this outreach plan. And usually those questions are like, how big is your team? How many people are actively crowdfunding with you? Um, mm -hmm. How big is your email list? How big is your social following total? Um, what is your like marketing plan? Do you have like press contacts that you're reaching out to? Do you have live events planned? Uh, you know, what platforms are you planning on focusing on? Like what is your like practical plan to raise this money? And um, a lot of the times people don't even bother with that. They just immediately lower their goal. Uh, but the sure. people who still wanna raise that amount um, always at least to the best of their abilities, try to answer those questions. And usually either they have like a secret weapon, like, oh, this the producer's dad is like crazy rich and he would he's gonna kick in whatever we don't raise ourselves. And it's like, all right, well, good yeah. for you. Uh, yeah. congratulations on that. that must be nice. <laughs> Must be nice to have generational wealth. Um, but the the other option is sometimes they they push back. But when they send us their outreach plan, we can point out like how you know the, like if they're focused entirely on social media, which is usually a thing. They're like, yeah, I have a thousand Twitter followers. So you know, if all of them give five dollars because you know they're very engaged or whatever, like we'll have yeah. this much money. And we usually have to point out at that point like the statistical conversion rate of social media share to crowdfunding contributions is right. 1%. So only 1% of your people are actually going to give you money from that. So focusing oh. entirely on social media is not going to be an effective strategy from what we've seen in the past. So like we we really try to, when when they give us information, we try to give them context for that information that we mm. have based on our existing data and like studies and that kind of stuff. And usually at that point, once we've opened the dialogue, once we really get them thinking about like, what that's going to take, uh, we can work with them on ways in which to still move forward with their project. Because ultimately, that's what we want is like, we want them to make this project. We just think that maybe the strategy around getting it made needs to tweak based on their current circumstances. But we try to impress upon them that if you, you know, focus on audience building, especially on during your first campaign, and especially, especially if you're planning on raising multiple times for the same project, um, that you can raise a little bit more each time and sort of build up to the amount that you ultimately want to raise, but without putting all of the pressure on a single campaign. Sure. Okay, so you mentioned the social conversion rates. Um, mm -hmm. Before Seed and Spark was the thing, um, before it existed and back, I think, when you were at Pacific University, because which <laughs> I learned by Googling you. Um, I'm very easy to Google, um, yeah. and I will say I love Pacific University. An excellent writing program. Cool. So I had uh, back in, gosh, it must have been like 2010 or 2011, something like that. I compiled with some help from some other people, a database of like pretty much every film project on Kickstarter ever um, above a certain threshold of like, I was like a thousand dollars or something. Okay. And the conversion rates were a lot different then. And I don't remember what they were, but I remember distinctly Facebook fan back then was worth like $19. So wow. do you have like the, yeah, and I think that's gone down as the algorithms 
and as more grandmothers. Yeah, especially on Facebook. Facebook algorithm is basically useless to anyone who isn't willing to pay to play. And when you're crowdfunding, it sort of doesn't make sense to pay a lot of money to try right. and get like a couple of people to give you money back. At best, you'll break even, and that's pretty rare. Although uh, I so find I find Facebook advertising because I uh, direct road races, and Facebook advertising actually works really well for that because you don't necessarily they're not it's not like the Boston Marathon you know where you have to like you get those races where you can just show up on the day and just you know sort of jog it or whatever and so it's just you just direct it so that you're like I don't really even care if you sign up for the race off of this link I just want you to know the race exists so that like two days before the race when you look at the weather you go oh it's gonna be nice out on Saturday I think I'll go yeah I've seen yeah Facebook paid posts are usually good for like marketing. Like if mm -hmm. you want somebody to watch something or like rent a film, um, yeah. it's harder for crowdfunding though. Um, yeah. People have a hard time buying into that because, you know, ads are already so intrusive and people are pretty suspicious right. of them. So, you know. Yeah. And it uh, works for that because yeah. it's just in your feed and then you just keep seeing it and you're like, oh, right, 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 right. I was thinking of doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and what are the... You don't, you really don't have to pay for that. Like if you can just right. be consistent and have really good materials, people will see and be reminded of your campaign. Right. Regardless. So what are the rates now? Like what are the conversion rates look like? Are they different by platform? So we don't have, uh, at least as far as I'm aware, like platform specific information, but we do have the, the stats like overall in terms of like, uh, if you have a social following of whatever, the actual conversion rate of people seeing that post is going to still be 1%. I actually did the math for my last campaign. Um, I, because uh, I, I ran a campaign a couple of weeks ago for a short film, and my conversion rate was 0.7% from social and 20% from my email list. Um, and I, cause I like really specifically tracked where every contribution, at least that I was bringing in was coming from. Right. And, um, my unsurprisingly like highest hit rate in terms of social media was Twitter followed by Instagram. Cause Twitter is sort of my home base for mm -hmm. better or worse. Um, yeah. but that's just because that's where I've cultivated my audience. So I think that like when you're planning your, your campaign, obviously don't ignore social media. Social media is a great place to remind people that you've sent them an email. It's just, and it's also a good place for them to start to see the momentum because it's been proven that you need to see something three times before you act on it, right. especially, you know, because everyone's in a different place in their day when they first get notification that like, hey, give me money. So if mm -hmm. they keep seeing reminders and those reminders are really like colorful and visually appealing and show off the momentum, like the campaign is doing well, then people will remember and go back to that email. Um, but yeah, so when you're planning your social outreach, look at the platform that you use the most on your own and really focus in on making like the materials for that platform really great. And then like have like one or two posts a week go up everywhere else, but like really focus in on the one social media that you know you're going to get the most engagement from. And then pretty much completely otherwise focus on direct outreach via like email and direct messages. Because what we've found, especially with like the inundation of content these days, the what the strategy is is moving away from social media only because social media is so passive and there's so much else going on. Right. Email outreach is so direct and so personal that, you know, people don't engage with it passively. They're, they have to click on it to read what's happening. And if you've done a good job with that, if you've made it very personalized and it's clear that it's coming from you and not like a mass BCC email, that is a lot more effective because it, it's like a, it's mob, it's mob psychology ultimately. Right. 
know, if you're if you're in an emergency situation and you happen to be in this crowd where something's going on and someone screams, someone call 911. You're like in the crowd, sure, but like your phone's dying and someone else will get it, I'm sure. But if somebody turns to you and says, hey, you call 911. Well, what are you going to do? Not call 911? Of course yeah, not. Yeah, then you're you're an asshole who's not calling Exactly. You don't want to be an asshole in crowdfunding or crowd control. So that's kind of the metaphor that I use a lot to try and explain this to people. And that that seems to be working out so far because that's 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 it. Like, and, and I know it from my own psychology. If I mm-hmm. see somebody posting on social media, that's one thing. But if they send me an email, I'm like, oh, you know oh, my shit. email? You remember I exist? <laughs> How did you Ooh, find well, me? I better respond to Exactly. Like I have plausible deniability if I see it on my feed and I just like don't do anything about it. But like yeah. you email me, I no longer can hide behind my own cowardice and cheapness. I have to give you money now. So one thing I always told people when I was uh, consulting, because every I don't I'm sure you've noticed this, that everyone thinks, oh, I'm overwhelming people with this information and everyone's sick of hearing about it. And I'm sure you've heard that with every mm-hmm. single person you've talked to in your job. Um yes. So the story I always told people is uh, I had a film, I had a feature that played, we got, we talked our local um, multiplex into playing it for like a week. And so I was living in a different state and I came home for it and I promoted the hell out of it. I was on the radio and I was handing out flyers and there were Facebook ads and Facebook posts and like just, I was convinced that every single human being in Midcoast, Maine knew that this film was playing there and was tired of hearing about already, you know? And I was sick of listening to myself talk, all this, whatever. So then I'm at the theater, you know, sort of like the second or third day it was there. I'm just there sort of hanging out. And a buddy of mine from school, and I went to a really small school, this buddy of mine who whenever I come home, I hang out with him anyway. We like, you know, watch football and drink beer and whatever. He comes walking into the theater and I'm like, oh, hey, I'll leave his name out. I'm like, hey, you came to see my movie. That's fantastic. He's like, you have a movie here? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and then he didn't even see the movie. He oh. went to see some Russell Crowe thing. And I was like, just like, just buy a ticket for my movie and go see the, I don't care. Just go see the Russell Crowe movie. I don't give a shit. Oh man. That's but I always tell that people story. that I'm like. I was like, hoping that it would be like a nice ending, but no. No, it was, well, he bought a ticket. So it's a pretty nice ending. But, you know, I mean, like if that was the person who you know that's one of the like 10 people who i would have like expected to show up anyway and just knew about it even without me telling them and he had no idea didn't even know it existed yeah it's also worth noting that like we always it's the same way when you're like in a crowd and you're feeling self-conscious and Mm -hmm. then you realize that like no one cares what you're doing they're only thinking about themselves it's sort of the same principle when it comes to marketing and the other thing that i i usually try to tell filmmakers um is that if your outreach feels annoying, something is wrong with your outreach. Talking about right. your film should just be something you're excited to do. So if the materials that you're putting into the world are something that you'd be ashamed of someone seeing more than once, then you need to do something else. I try to emphasize, especially to people who are newer to the process, getting really creative with their materials and like thinking about like what got you into this project? What like made you so obsessed that you researched for six hours on a Saturday? What was like the most fun part of putting this together? Put that kind of stuff front and center in your marketing because when you're having fun marketing and just talking about your film, other people are going to have fun consuming that marketing, you know? And then also I try to get them to think about like when like 
media that you enjoy is marketing to you, what works for you? You know, what is it about their marketing efforts that appeal to you most? Like, do you like the sort of irreverent fast food people on Twitter? Like, do you like it when marketing is a little tongue in cheek? Or do you like it when there's like really polished screenshots and a trailer and that kind of stuff? Like whatever it is that appeals to you is likely going to appeal to your audience because you're probably making something in a similar vein. So focus on that and make it fun. Just make it something that you're creating rather than something you're marketing. And that I hope is helping people out. They say it's helpful, but you know, I'm, I'm a very powerful presence. So they might just be lying to me to get me off the phone. That could be it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I always, yeah, that's kind of how I approach it in any of anything really. It's sort of you, if you try to talk to every audience, you're going to get lost in it. Mm -hmm. You know, I always just think, well, what do I want to see in the world? And yeah, I you're figure, your own best audience profile. Yeah, I'm like, I figure there's enough people like me or similar to me that it's going to work out. I don't, I'm not trying to sell a Marvel movie here. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have to hit all four quadrants. Or right. And that. also Marvel has, you know, unlimited resources when it comes to marketing. And not everyone who sees their marketing is going to see their movie, but they have enough mm -hmm. money that they can kind of put it everywhere and they know their audience is in there somewhere. But filmmakers don't have that kind of resources and they certainly don't have that kind of time. So get really specific about the types of communities that you're going to be targeting with your advertising, whether it's mm -hmm. paid or organic, and just focus on them. Because those people who are like the most perfect people for your project are going to become your biggest amplifiers because they're going to be like, the core of the fandom and that's what you're looking for is somebody who's going to be the core of it they're going right. to be the ones that kind of get more and more people invested because you know that's what fandoms do best is they they go out into the world and spread the good word yeah one of the things i always used to tell people was that i never pushed for money in a campaign i always pushed for backers or supporters or, or followers if it's on seed and spark because you never know when the guy who gives you a dollar is going to become like this disciple for you and go out and find like 15 other people who are each going to give a hundred dollars. Do yeah, I mean, do you find that still as a thing or is that gone away? I don't think that it's gone away. I think that it's harder now because there are so many more people asking for money, asking for eyeballs, asking for clicks. Mm -hmm. um, but it's definitely still a thing. And I also, I try to emphasize to people to not undervalue their like lower level incentives because there's often a an instinct to say, well, if I, I'll just make an incentive at this level and they won't get anything, I'll just like put a thank you in there. But it's just like an option for the lower level people. And I think that right. that's a missed opportunity because if you can get the people to give you, that give you like one to $10, like something fun that they can go out and share, they will feel more attached to your project and they'll feel more valued. And so the next time when they have more money, they'll remember how you treated them when they had less and they'll give you more. And if you can make them feel like part of your team, that's a really powerful connection that you've just made. I always use the example of uh, my last season for our campaign, not this most recent one, I was raising money for a comedy mental health web series. And it mm -hmm. was a very prop gag heavy series. So our wish list, I broke down by the individual props, partially as a marketing thing. Cause it's like, what the hell are they going to use 150 Easter eggs for? Um, you have to you know, watch the episodes to find out. But so this yeah. gave people the opportunity to sponsor a particular prop which not only gave them the ability to like know tangibly where their money was going so that when that episode came out, they
like say, oh, I bought them those Easter eggs. But it also gave people a lot more um, varied price points in terms of how they could contribute. So there was a person on Twitter who had watched my work in the past and was like, I see your crowdfunding and I, I wish I could help, but I'm just so broke right now. And I was like, well, if you go to our wish list, there's actually a prop that we need to buy. It's a, a three foot like measuring tape thing that they're gonna use for a, a thing in episode three. It's $1, do you have $1 to spare? And he's like, actually I do have $1. Okay, so he purchased that item. And now that is a tangible thing that he can credit to himself. And so even though he only had $1, he purchased a, a prop. And when that episode came out, he shared it everywhere. Like he was so excited to share with people like, this is a funny episode and I bought the measuring tape. For $1, I got someone who was now tangibly connected to the project and genuinely excited to share it because I didn't belittle him for not being able to give money. I didn't talk down to him. I gave him a way to join the team and that went a long way. And you never know really when, where people are in their finances, especially now. Totally. Um, And, you know, like sometimes like people just don't have a dollar even. They don't have the $100 you think they should have. And sometimes the best they can do is be someone who like, just tells everybody else about your campaign or about your project. Absolutely, Yeah. Um, and on Seedenspark, if you get a follower, following is free, but at certain tiers, you unlock a bunch of cool stuff. Like the film festival waivers at 500 followers is mm-hmm. huge. And that, right. that can be up to $150 off of film festival submissions for you just by getting 500 people interested in your project enough to subscribe to your newsletter, essentially. So you mentioned the wish list. So when I first heard about Seed and Spark, which was back in, uh, I looked it up, it's 2013 um, mm-hmm. at Sundance, which I think is they had just, just started. Um, yeah. So the wish list was, it, I feel like it was more prominent back then. And it was like, I wrote, when I wrote the thing that you can still find in the Huffington Post, it was like, I have a C-stand or I have gels, you can borrow them. Is that still a prominent thing on Seed and Spark? I don't really see it as, it doesn't feel like it's as front and center as it used to be. Do you guys still yeah, have that still factor? Thing. Mm-hmm, okay. The loan system. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that one thing that the, the loans I think are definitely less used now uh, just because you know so, so many people are crowdfunding, but it's certainly still a strategy that a lot of filmmakers employ. It's particularly useful as a strategy for um, people with a lot of filmmakers following them. Right. and people with strong like community-based support. So people who are from communities that are a little bit more specific than like New York City or mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Like when people have like a local community that they're working with where they need like a couple of different locations or they need somebody to cook them lunch for crafty for one day. Like the, the local community really comes through for like access and food we found. And then filmmaking communities, people whose most of their network is other filmmakers, that's where like the equipment stuff comes through. So like right. we need a C-stand, we need to, uh, you know, a van to move stuff around. We need a lighting kit, stuff like that. Um, and th- the people who are, you know, crowdfunding for those aspects have, have found that very, very helpful. And I think one of the reasons that probably we're seeing a little bit less use of that system in particular is because um, more and more people are realizing that there is a lot of benefit to crowdfunding for like post-production and like marketing and festivals. And those are mm-hmm. harder to 
accept loans on. Like my last right. campaign was for like essentially finishing funds um, to pay ourselves back so that we could distribute the film finally. It had already gone through its festival submission period. We kind of just needed to pay ourselves back and have some kind of marketing stunt to get people aware of the film for when we finally put it online. Mm -hmm. um, so we couldn't accept loans. Like literally we just needed the money. So loans didn't make sense. But you know, right. when people are doing pre-production still and production campaigns, that is definitely still a, a portion of their outreach is done to specifically people who they think could loan them something um yeah that makes sense yeah i mean that's more helpful if you're in say austin because sure there's got to be c stands just on the street <laughs> corner somewhere um than if you're in montana where they're like i don't know what that is but, sure but people in montana but I'll cook have, you dinner you know houses yeah exactly they'll cook a, they'll cook you dinner like a lot of i've seen a lot of like parents when mm -hmm. you know they're like i mean we could write you a check but like what if you know we we made you lunch for three of your shoot days and like that's absolutely adequate and the food's probably going to be better than what we were going to get for crafty anyways right or if we gave you a location or exactly yeah, locations your, are huge with your, your local cousin's cabin <laughs> sure yeah, um, lakefront property blah 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 okay so you mentioned that uh scene spark is now and this is i think pretty new it's all sort of mediums yeah all mediums and not just um not just film so like is that that's like comics or writing like mm -hmm. yeah like uh audio games? plays um i you know i think games is a category we haven't seen mm -hmm. any but i would love to talk to some board game people because i think we all could use some more board games these days um yeah, yeah so podcasts audio dramas books blogs music um comic books like you said we had a campaign run late last year that, that kind of launched our comic book vertical uh, a comic book by John Leguizamo which was really cool mm -hmm. and um yeah any if you are a storyteller of any kind or if you are a venue who hosts independent storytellers of any kind we are open for business cool and so it's basically the same process it's the same yes exactly the same we're we we know that parts of our product are going to have to get updated eventually mm -hmm. to accommodate people and obviously our uh rewards are all still pretty exclusively for filmmakers although right. you know i'm sure like theater spaces could find use in a couple of the things um but like on on the the base level the platform can accommodate any kind of storyteller. And we are working right now on developing new educational resources to like speak to those sorts of people because now we're, sure. we're starting to see campaigns submitted with people who aren't as familiar with video making. So obviously the pitch video advice that we give people, which is usually a lot of like filmmaker shaming, like you're a filmmaker, why is your video so bad? Oh my gosh, that, yeah. you know, is, <laughs> that can't really be the strategy anymore. So we're, we're working on developing some new re educational resources to sort of accommodate storytellers who aren't as familiar with that side of the process and make sure that we're still giving them the best practices without having to, you know, expect that they have a filmmaking background. Right. Um, so is it, and it's not, so for some of those, like say for a podcast, for example, since we're on a podcast and you have a podcast and I apparently have one now, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, for me, I think Patreon makes a lot of sense for that, that sort of model, subscription model. Is that an available model or not an available model? We do not have a subscription model yet. Uh, we okay. do have our, our streaming platform subscription, but that's just for people who want to distribute content with right. us. Okay. I was just clearing that up. That's what I thought, but I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. So for the but pitch video, maybe someday, maybe, I mean, I know I talked to Emily about it at some point and she said Gumroad is, I think, developing a Patreon. Mm -hmm. Gumroad's a big partner. Yeah. So there. Um, so the pitch video. 
back in the day, in the early days of Kickstarter, when it was a mess, um, and <laughs> there was a lot of people who just would have a still or like a poster image or whatever of their sure. of their campaign, and we're like, you got to have a video. But we found in the early days, at least, the more important than like, because you'd have two different types of videos. You'd have the um, the pitch video where it's just a trailer, you know. And then there's the pitch video where it's the filmmaker talking directly to the camera going, give me money, please. Please, please, <laughs> please give me money for the following reasons. And we found the second one, the more direct approach was more effective. Is that still sort of? Yeah, it's more of a combination now, especially okay. on like the art and storytelling side and especially, especially on the filmmaking side. So the general advice we give for a pitch video is first of all, it needs to be short. It needs to be right. about 120 seconds or less. Um, and that's honestly more time than you think. And within that 120 seconds ish, you need to show some kind of footage or visual because when you're asking people to give you money to make something that they want to watch eventually, they need to see that you have the chops to do that or at least right. have the vision to do that. So whether that's cutting together a sizzle reel of, you know, shutterstock footage, whether that's showing off past work, whether that's shooting kind of a um, rehearsal footage or something like that. Basically, we do need to see something. And mm -hmm. straight up talking head is really not effective anymore because you know oh, there's okay. there's so much other content to watch. Like there, why would I watch a stranger that I've never seen before talk to me for two minutes in front of a white wall? So we found that like uh, starting with footage, kind of getting us into the scene, almost giving us a cold open to your pitch video. So like a portion of the trailer that you were talking about would be great there. Then, you know, talking head for a little bit, cutaways to B-roll, maybe either to more footage or to like graphics and images, things that you put together for the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, but having like a steady talking head, like voiceover throughout, that has been the kind of effective model these days and of course okay. the more creative people can get with the talking head the better there was a, a horror film that funded with us a couple of months ago and their campaign video was um it, they, they were in like a like a dark closet and there was only like a flashlight that was keep you know lighting them up and mm -hmm. they did the pitch video as they were being like chased around the house and like hiding out in different sections of it um, from like a mysterious thing and you know like they had a lot of sound design and fun stuff so it was pretty much just a talking head but they showed off that they could you know move a camera around pretty well mm -hmm. that they understood like the tropes of horror and it was just like a really entertaining video so even though I was just getting the same exposition that I would get from anywhere I got to see them like in their element so right. ultimately even though I knew nothing about these people I know they can make a horror film and I know, I feel like I know a little bit more about like their sensibilities. And mm -hmm. um, that was a really effective like use of that. So the more creative people can get with the talking head portion, which is direct and super important, but like the more stylistic it can get, the more people um, find that persuasive. Yeah, I think the thing we used to tell people once we all sort of figured it out was you have to show that you know what the hell you're doing and that you can do this. And then, but you also kind of on one level have to pass the, do I want to have a beer with this person test? Because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like, if, you know, if you get up there and you could be like the greatest filmmaker in the world, but if then you get up there to like Jared Kushner and start talking, I'd be like, no, no, fuck you, dude. I don't know. No, I'm not giving you anything. Yeah, the filmmaker's own credibility is a huge part of it. And that's why, like, there's sometimes people try to submit pitch videos where they're not on screen at all. They're just mm -hmm. like either a voiceover or just text. And it's like, nah, I don't know who this mysterious anonymous computer hacker is, but I need to see you. 
<laughs> I yeah. need to see who is making this film, even if it's for a little bit. We we also know that people, especially when it's like a producer, director, writer who's crowdfunding, might not be like the most confident and comfortable person on camera. So something else we've seen people do is hire an actor either from the project or just that they know to play them in the video. And then they appear at some point and like make kind of an inside joke about like, the writer is here, but he doesn't want to be on camera. And so like they, he can write the words that he would want to say, but have like a more charismatic person perform it. Uh, and we've seen that that's been like a kind of fun subversion of the need to be on camera the whole time, especially if you're not as comfortable. Do you think that's as effective as just being awkward on camera? Because for me, I would think that if, if I, would, I don't expect the writer or the director to be like, you know, Tom Hanks or anything I if they're like stumbling through it and they like are scared shitless to be on camera I'm like okay yeah I understand this is a, this is the guy I empathize with this guy more do you find that's well, like but, you, but you're effective? also a cre like a person in this industry for like a lay right. person we we expect when somebody is on camera we I'm not a lay person anymore I am a right. special person but like we we expect there to be a certain level of competence and energy and it's mm -hmm. hard to be confident in someone saying like give me ten thousand dollars if they're kind of stilted and uncomfortable on screen and that'll, that's also going to hurt the pacing of the video and people get right. kind of caught up in the pacing of something in the like you know footage to speaking to footage like they want to feel empowered by the end they want to feel excited and if you are not a person who can conjure up that energy you're just gonna hurt the video. So it's better to just have a small portion of that and then focus on other things or, or find ways where you're more comfortable, whether it's introducing yourself on camera and then going into voiceover, whatever. But like the performance aspect of it, uh, performance aspect of it is definitely important uh, mm -hmm. be, just because people don't expect you to be like a person on video. You know, every once in a while right. that can work if you're like endearingly awkward. But for the most part, when somebody is filming themselves, they're not endearingly awkward, they're just awkward. And that can really work against people because what we need is confidence in your credibility. And it's hard to be confident in someone who is just not selling it to us well. You can have right. the greatest idea in the world, but if you are the driving force of the video and you are not compelling to watch, then that's gonna be an uphill battle. Unless you're like Charlie Kaufman and they're like, this guy's crazy, but also I've <laughs> yeah, exactly. already seen three movies where he's a genius. And exactly. So and so I don't want to know what's wrong with him. <laughs> exactly. That would be a, that's why we, we try to emphasize, like, if you don't have footage from this work because you're crowdfunding to make this work, that makes sense. Show us what mm -hmm. you've done before. Even if it's student films, just pick like the best couple of shots. Show us yeah. that you know what you're doing and show us that you have credibility. And that goes a, a long, long way. That solves a lot of problems. If you're like, well, this guy's already made a good movie or this woman's already made a good movie. So they know what they're doing. And this is lower risk. Mm -hmm. OK, so let's talk about perks. So 100 years ago, when I had this big database of information, <laughs> I found that the, um, that the best performing perk in a campaign was always, like 95% like of the time, was where the DVD was. Like, if you put the DVD at $5, that was your best perk. If you put the DVD at $50, that was your best perk. Um, but this was also, like, before streaming, before Netflix did streaming. And sure. so that's how we all watched movies back in, in the dark ages. Um, we had these small discs, and we carried them around with us from apartment to apartment <laughs> as we moved. And I still have some of them. I have a whole bunch of them back here. Um, so where is... And part of what I always figured was that that was the way that everyone sort of understood that they were going to be able to watch the movie. 
and so that's what they wanted. If they they're like, if I'm giving you money, I, I want to be able to watch the damn movie when you're done with it. Is that like what's the most popular perk now? Is it the digital download? Streaming? Uh, so it it depends. We have found the most popular incentive is whatever's at the twenty five dollar level, okay. and which is uh, where the DVD order... used to be usually. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and so now usually people are putting like early streaming either at that level or just above, mm -hmm. um, and and it's usually like early streaming. So like that's how they can justify charging a little bit more because right. like you know you're gonna get it before it's broadly available. Um, and because like you mentioned, you know, physical copies are really, I haven't seen a physical copy offered more than like once every 30 campaigns. So it's really gone down in terms of popularity, but we found that the $25 incentive, whatever that is, is the most like sought after. And so the advice we try to give is whatever that is, make sure that what you're delivering is instant. So we actually recommend not offering the um, copy of the film at that level, or at least not on its own, because mm -hmm. that's really delayed gratification and it right. stops the, your ability to leverage their excitement over the reward that they got to find other people who will be excited. So we, the, the advice we try to give at that level is make it instant, make it digital, make it personal and make it visual. So something that can only be shared by this person because it either has their name on it or their face on it or something that they have commissioned. Mm -hmm. uh, make it digital so you don't have to pay to ship it to them. Make it instant so that you can send it out as soon as it happens so that they can go out and share with their friends and make it shareable so that like they want to go out and share it with their friends. So not only do they want to, but they can. And we found that that is a really good way of getting like the visuals of the campaign out into the world and deputize people even who might be strangers to go share what they got with the world, even if they don't have a ton of context for you or your film. And the more on brand that reward is, the more people are going to come to understand like the tone and vision of your piece just through like the reward that you're giving out. And you're capitalizing on people's excitement as it's happening. Merchandise has gone down in popularity just because it takes so long to be delivered that like it's hard to attach the excitement over receiving it to the campaign and the project and, and so you really want to try and exactly and it's yeah. it, it's a pain in the ass to do the logistics of even if you're you know just sending out postcards like mm -hmm. if you're giving out postcards for like a ten dollar level sure that's not very expensive for you to manufacture but like the amount of time that you have to spend individually addressing postcards and like writing a handwritten note that can take its toll and you ultimately want to be spending your time after a campaign on the thing you were campaigning to fund, not delivering what was going on during the campaign itself. So the more digital and instant things you can send out, the more that you're containing the work of a crowdfunding campaign to the actual period of time that you're campaigning and the more effective that's gonna be because people are excited while they can still be giving money. Sure. What do you tell people when they're like, oh, I, and maybe people don't even do this anymore. Um, they're like, oh, well, I don't wanna give like, people like the download of the movie or the streaming of the movie until they've spent like $30 or $40, like, and like not even just early, like at all. Like, cause they think, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Gonna... We, as long as access to the film is one of the incentives, you know, mm -hmm. we, we kind of leave it up to the individual person the, we get a little bit more concern around that from feature filmmakers because they're worried about like affecting their distribution options. Right. But at this point in the film industry, as long as you're not offering a download, but you're just offering like 
like uh, streaming access or even limited streaming access through, you know, a password protection or, or you know, an unlisted link, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, most distributors understand that crowdfunding is how a lot of independent films get made across platforms. So they're generally pretty lenient about that. As long as right. you as the filmmaker have the ability to revoke access. So that's why we recommend streaming over a digital download. If you're looking for, you know, future distribution options sure. in general, that shouldn't be a problem. Like as long as you can revoke it. And as long as it's not something where, you know, it's, it's out for the public, it's just for backers, people, distri distributors and sales agents understand that process. Cool. So we, we try to, especially if people are concerned, we just say, just offer it as like, tell people that it's going to be limited access. You know, it'll be early access, but you know, they won't have it indefinitely. So as long as you make that transparent and clear upfront, you should be transparent and in the clear with, you know, whatever distribution option you get. Okay. So let's shift a little bit here. Um, actually, no, I have one more seed spark question. Um, sure. So what we also found back in the day and because you guys have the 80 percent the green light yep. do you guys find that normally at least in the in in the kickstarter database we found that you would get to a hundred percent and so it was really easy to get a campaign from say 75 percent to 100 percent because sort of the snowball effect of it and the public pressure of holy shit they're going to lose all this money but then it would sort of stop it would get to like 100% and then it would sort of go a little over and it would get to like 105% and it would sort of really taper off unless you had a really, unless you sort of blew past it and had a really great stretch goal. Do you guys find that people get to 80% and then pretty much stop or do they end up going, do they end up keep going and like is the stretch as hard as it used to be? That maybe that's uh, I not not to a hundred percent because first of all, a lot of people who support a project on Seed and Spark don't really understand the green light and what that sure. means. So like they're still and like the meter, the little like um progress meter on the campaign is still showing it's not complete, just like the color is green all of the sudden. Mm -hmm. So on that aspect, most supporters still see that there is a gap that they want to help fill. So like the 80 okay. to a hundred really is more about like giving the filmmakers and like the, the chance to take a deep breath whenever that happens. Um, yeah. But we've also found that um, being clear about stretch goals, even ahead of the 80% has been an effective way of getting people, you know, higher than 105%, uh, you know, as you mentioned. So making sure that you are being just really transparent about exactly where the money is going and mm -hmm. what you could continue to do past that. We've seen people raise, you know, 200% of their goal just because they were clear from the beginning and very consistent in their messaging about like the, what we're raising for a hundred percent is the bare minimum. And that right. might not even be enough to make this as good as we want it to be. These are, this is our passion. This is our vision for what we want. So if you can get us to this amount, you know, we, we can do even more. And, you know, it's all about transparency and it's all about communication. The people who are actively communicating with their audience, not just like the people outside of the campaign, but the people who have already given them money, the more likely they are to go even further than their initial goal because people feel like they understand what the money is going for. It's not just this ethereal, like a film will be made, but like right. when it's really broken down for them via the wish list, via updates and that kind of stuff, via, via milestone um, updates, like we have now officially funded enough to get our second day of shooting, you know, whatever it looks like, people respond to that. People respond to information. Sure, sure, okay. Um, so then I wanted to ask you about like, so now that this is all well and good, right? And, <laughs> and then the world ended. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. And did. it's a complete clusterfuck, and no one knows what the fuck is happening. And that's kind of why this podcast now exists because I kind of wanted to figure out what the fuck is happening. Um, yeah. And even though I don't even get to stop working, I have to keep working, but whatever. That's a whole <laughs> different thing. Um, Hashtag relatable. Same. Yeah. Thing. So what are we doing now? Like you had you had a blog post about a creative residency in quarantine. I don't know if you want to talk about that any. Um, but like, where do you see this going? Like, like this is obviously got to be the worst time in the world to crowdfund anything. Um, like this, like month of of April when you. <laughs> so like, but where do you see this going? Maybe out after six months from now, or a year from now, or whenever the vaccine shows up. Yeah, man. <laughs> so it's it's a lot. I was I happen to be crowdfunding as things were starting to bubble up, the final two weeks of my campaign were like the first weeks of the shelter in place order in Los Angeles. So that was certainly a transition. We still hit 101%, although we were raising a relatively small amount, but it was definitely an adjustment that we had to make in messaging, especially because we were raising for a psychological horror film about the dangers of capitalism. Sure. Um, it turned out to be kind of topical. prescient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But also we had to kind of pull back from, because we are, our, our stylistic um, approach to the crowdfund was we were pretending that the crowdfund was itself a pyramid scheme because the film's about like a demonic pyramid scheme. Okay. Uh, and so like we had all this messaging about like, join our community and you can rise through the ranks of not a pyramid, just a triangle shaped opportunity board. Uh, we kind of pulled back from that just because like, sure. <laughs> it, it seemed like it wasn't a good strategy anymore to be like ironic about raising money. And yeah. we kind of doubled down on like, what is the money going towards? It's going towards paying back our collaborators. And like half of our collaborators on that project, which we shot a couple of years ago, um, had lost their jobs or at the very least had gotten reduced hours as a result of the, the virus. So that it, it became a lot more about like the people behind the project and less about the project itself. And that's something that the, that's the pivot that we've seen be most effective for crowdfunding campaigns during this like active apocalypse time right. is making it a lot more about the human beings behind the project and the fact that like, you know, art is important and so are the people who make it. So those of you who have turned to just like full on quarantine and chill with your Netflix and your Hulu and all that stuff, like pay attention to who you're turning to. You're turning to artists to get you through this time. And these artists for the most part are out of work right now. So let us make art for you and let us keep paying our rent so that we continue to do so even when we're out of this. So that has been definitely a pivot that's worked for a lot of people. We've also seen, um, the making campaigns more about the audience than people usually do is effective as well. Because we know that people are still paying for uh, subscriptions, streaming services, and you know podcasts and, and podcast Patreon so they get like additional like behind the scenes podcasts and stuff like that. Like people are mm -hmm. paying for content. So if you can make, design your campaign around delivering more content to people, that is also an easy buy-in and not just for the content that you're eventually going to make with the funds, but the content that you're making throughout the campaign. So making like producing new works even if they're like small things, a poem a day, a, you know, a short song snippet a day, a little TikTok sketch a day, you know, or whatever it looks like for your particular campaign, that's something worth following because it gives people something to look forward to throughout the course of your campaign. And it gives them like a tangible thing that they're buying right now. That's not just like, you know, a, a digital postcard or whatever, but it's like something that they have to look forward to each and every day that has nothing to do with the insanity surrounding us. So 
the focusing on people both behind the camera who this campaign is going to support through these hard times and the people on the other end the audience and what they're getting out of it not just in the future but right now those have been the effective pivots that we've seen uh, on our platform at least that uh, are allowing crowdfunding to still be a viable thing and i would also say crowdfunding has gotten more popular maybe not for um filmmaking specifically but like how many companies how many events how many venues have started up crowdfunding campaigns to support their memberships like crowdfunding right. is more important now than ever and that's kind of why we wrote the artist in residency post that you mentioned we wanted to design an, a concept for a crowdfunding campaign that could sort of speak to those but make it a little bit more interactive and a little bit more creatively fulfilling for the, the people running it because you know in the best of cases crowdfunding is hard and it's hard on your mental health to run, even when you're doing it great, even when you're designing it well. So we tried to focus and emphasize on like the creation of art and focusing just on like your, your bills and utilities and thinking about if your bills were paid this month, what would you be working on? If you didn't have to worry about your finances, if you could cover rent, if you could cover expenses and utilities, your, your hot water stays on, what would you be working on right now? You're stuck inside, so you've gotta be doing something. And why not give yourself the space to do that? If you were already thinking about launching some kind of crowdfunding campaign to cover those expenses because you're under or completely unemployed during this period, if we could help you set something like that up, what would you want to create? And so focus on making the story of this campaign uh, like the creation of a little mini artist residency for yourself. And then also try to think about what sorts of things can you be offering your community during this time, during your residency to keep them entertained as well. How can you create a community around art that you've already wanted to be making and cover your expenses at the same time? So that was kind of the inspiration for the artist in residency concept, which we have officially added, I believe, as a category on our site cool. as of yesterday. So that, that was kind of the thinking there. Could I use this to give you very detailed reviews of episodes of Blippi? Because if you think that there is an audience for that, then <laughs> by all means, I have a podcast about burn notice. So like, I know, yeah, but <laughs> there is an opportunity for. I have this. a three-year-old, and oh my god, it's so much flippy right now. <laughs> Honestly, I think that would probably be really popular because the, there's a lot of parents right now that are stuck at home with their kids while they're trying to work, and they're watching flippy, I think that, yeah. that could really exactly that could really speak like the the parents re, parent parental reviews of kids shows I, yeah. and like you know creating comedy and solidarity around that probably would be really popular i was telling somebody i'm like i, I ran into them at the grocery store which is the oh it's my social life these days um my <laughs> once a week <laughs> terrified grocery store experience i'm like you know like we're trying to like my wife and i we're not really like you know go out and do things types of people we're very like stay at home but, like but the big difference is is we can't drop all the children off at grandma's <laughs> get rid of them for the night they're just still there and it's still blippy time and i honestly would I might, i'm not I a parent but yeah. i would i would love a like a deep dive like true media criticism podcast about like children's television shows by an exhausted parent with their kids running around in the background that sounds honestly like very funny and that very be, interesting yeah someone who like i'm not gonna do it because I, <laughs> Well, you have this podcast now. You're too busy. Yeah, I'm too busy with this and my day job. But um, I feel like someone who like majored in media, like media theory or something, and like maybe used to be a, like a film critic or something, but you know now they're like 45 and they've got like 
three kids who are screaming at them all the time. I feel like that's their wheelhouse. So they could come to yeah. you and say, here's what I want to do. I want to do deep, deep dives, like into the mise-en-scene of, of Pocono <laughs> or whatever his name is, or yeah, Bob exactly. the Builder, or those. Is Bob the Builder still a thing? That was a thing when I was a kid. Hey, there's a Builder show. There's a Builder show. <laughs> My toddler is into, he calls them car shows. And it's just Hot Wheels, which he are not Hot Wheels, apparently, because they're cold when uh, you touch them. Um, but that's a whole <laughs> That's a different thing. It's like these stupid videos where they like drive Hot Wheels around and they like change colors and then they like run into an elephant. The elephant is blue and I don't wow. know. It's, it's just you watch it and go, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> Well, that, that is a free thing that we've just put out into the yeah. world. So any podcasters out there, you can take it from us. Free idea. Your yeah. heart's content. Yeah, I don't, I don't even need credit. I'm not sure I want credit for that. <laughs> I'd rather um, my name get left out of this entirely, in fact. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I just want to ask you about one more thing. Um, sure. I was reading, I read a couple of your blogs while watching Blippi. And um, <laughs> one of the things... So that was I, a surreal experience. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting is, so the follower system, which I've always kind of like had in the back of my head so ever since I like first heard about you guys. Um, and you mentioned something about how using it now when nobody has any money and everyone's waiting for their stimulus money to show up to sort of build your audience as like a preview and you know feel free to like interrupt me if i'm selling this incorrectly so say you've got a project and you want you know you want to sort of launch it whenever the world comes back sure this idea of like having it in a preview mode and say like okay we're gonna when the world comes back or like on a day on july 1st or whatever we're going to go live and it's, we're going to sort of build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. Like, has anyone tried that yet? Uh, not yet, but I only wrote the post like a week ago. Um, right. I mean, we, but it's we not based on do it in... someone else did or anything. I mean, we, it's based on people doing stuff like on a smaller scale. Like there's the people who try to use their um, preview page as like a soft launch mm -hmm. just to start to g gather a couple of followers. Like I did that for maybe two weeks before my last campaign. Just like, hey, you know, it's it's my birthday. If you can just follow my seed and start campaign, it's free. And, you know, then you'll you'll get alerted when it's there. But also if you don't do anything else other than follow me, I still get a benefit from that. Uh, and we've seen people do that throughout the years. But um, during this time, we've seen a lot of people just hesitate even to start building a crowdfunding campaign because like the idea of launching it right now seems crazy to them, which is totally valid. And and I was thinking about like, well, there's a lot you can do with a sample, like with a preview page, especially one that's like been vetted by us and approved and everything mm -hmm. to start getting the word out. And it also speaks to something that people do even in good times that I think is uh, a mistake, which is they come out of nowhere like they 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 don't understand that hyping up a crowdfunding campaign is as important as hyping up a new film project which they also right. sometimes drop out of nowhere like if you all of a sudden are crowdfunding i had no idea you were even working on a new project like i you i'm already behind and so you know even if i end up contributing like there's not as many people who are going to be excited and who are expecting this and who are like oh yeah this project sounds great you've already lost a lot of like lead up time to get people excited about the concept because ultimately all a crowdfunding campaign is is a marketing campaign where right. you're also happening to be fundraising well, so I think you know part of that is people are afraid 
that they're going to blow their load on um, exactly on a time frame where you can't give them any money. I think mm -hmm. that's part of and, where that hesitancy comes from. And and I and the hesitancy like that that you just mentioned is also coming from like they're not really understanding how marketing works, which is fair mm -hmm. because marketing is terrible um, and everyone hates doing it. Yeah. But if you are thinking about it like strategically and you're actually doing pre-production for that marketing the you know quote-unquote blowing of your load is not how that works it's actually effective to get people to start like paying attention to something before it's available you right. just need to make sure that you can maintain that momentum so that's why like the post that i wrote was all about um using the follower system to start sending out updates so you're not just having them follow a dead page and then you know in six months you'll launch it like mm -hmm. be, you can submit, I, and I had to test this myself because I didn't know if it was actually possible, but it is. <laughs> you can send updates before a, a two followers that followers will get emailed in their inbox like a newsletter before you launch the campaign. So I, I was trying to get people to think about this as like a newsletter subscription for their mm -hmm. new project. And so during the period of time where they're trying to kind of test the waters, see where everyone's at financially, um, just using that time to just talk about the project. So don't even use it to talk about the crowdfunding campaign necessarily, or maybe offer up like, hey, we're still working on the design for our $25 incentive. Like, do you guys like this template or this template? So just yeah. start giving people things to contribute to. Start sharing like, hey, we did some edits on the script today. I wanted to share like a short part of our Zoom table read or we started doing you know wardrobe tests today here is a fashion show in our lead actor's home of like some of the op the outfit options we were thinking for their character like Location just start giving scouts, them stuff like that exactly you know right now we're that nobody is in here but just imagine that it's bustling this is going to be a great shot for us stuff like that um you know so like give people a sense of like the progress that you're making even before you start launching and people will start talking about your film and as you are talking about it they're starting to get excited especially because you're showing them that like hey the world is crazy right now but we're still moving forward and so you know that they you're but not only are you getting them kind of excited about the project and giving them just something to think about other than the apocalypse, sure. uh, maybe if you're making an apocalypse show, it's your apocalypse they're thinking of. And, you know, that's a step forward in some ways, but you're also training them to check on your crowdfunding campaign page for new updates. You're training them to go to this very specific link to learn more about this project that you've gotten them excited about. So once you do launch your campaign page, it's not coming out of nowhere. They're familiar with the site. They're familiar with the project. And like, hopefully if you've done a good job, you kind of already soft pitched them on it. And right. if they got to be a part of building the incentive levels or designing the incentives and things like that, then you have done a lot of the work that you had to do way ahead of time and it's always better to start with a like you know groundswell of support than you know yeah. starting from scratch especially if you already know what your date is if you know like july 1st is what we're going live and you can sort of mm -hmm. hype that day well the old move was that seth godin sort of stumbled on and then we all stole was <laughs> you you pre-sell a bunch of it and you get um you get as much money in advance as you can lined up and then what we would do was we would always launch the campaign. Um, we would tell people it was launching at like 9 a.m. on a Monday because we always launched on Monday mornings. But then we would turn it on at like 12.01 in the morning. Yep. And then we would tell people, we would tell like, we'd say have 15 people. Um, and we would say, okay, so we're going to at 12.01 in the morning, we're going to turn it on, go on, back it, so that when people go, get there at 9 a.m., they're like, holy shit, they're already at $6,000. This is amazing. Yep. 
as opposed to, you know, you never wanted someone like that you didn't already know to be the, go on there and be like, oh, they've raised $5 and they've been live for four hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think this is going to yeah. work. Yeah, this is what I'm pitching is like the follower method is like the cloud launch. And then what you're talking about is like the soft launch method, which right. I definitely still do as well, because no one like the way that crowdfunding campaigns are designed, nobody can tell the date at which it was launched. They just see how long it is until it's over. So if you launch mm -hmm. like a day ahead of time or something and just get like your rider dies to get in early, um, you know, people aren't noticing like, oh, they've actually been live for longer. Like people only consider, you know, your campaign started when they first saw it. And that's also right. why I recommend when people are like scheduling out like their outreach to not email everyone on the first day, because, you know, not all of your list are going to be people that you're sure about. So I try to break it up by like, I email like our core supporters first, the people I know almost absolutely are going to definitely give us money or people that mm -hmm. I've lined up in advance, like you mentioned. Then the second day I, you know, reach out to people who I, I think will probably be amused by it or, you know, that I'm close to personally, even if they don't know a ton about my work. Then the third day is like old coworkers, people who, you know, might throw me some bucks because they're like, oh, she's doing well. That's good for her. You know, and then, you know, the further out I get from the day, not only do I have new people to email that I haven't emailed yet, which just keeps me from going insane because I, sure. I struggle from like just sitting there during an hour, like, I should be doing something for my crowdfunding campaign. So having new emails is not out every day, like gives me something to do, but it also ensures that the people that you're less sure about are seeing the campaign at a more successful place each time that they get reached out to and they're not being inundated from the beginning. So for those people that we talked about like 45 minutes ago who are worried about being irritating, mm -hmm. you aren't irritating if somebody hasn't heard from you for like the first week. And so that not only gives you uh, a, like distance from possibly inundating someone with information, but you're also ensuring the people that you're less sure about, that you're less confident in are seeing your campaign at the best possible moment for them. Okay, that makes sense. Although it used to be, you used to be able to know when campaigns were launched. That was, in the early days, oh, that really? was a thing that was part of the information. So you would go, oh, it was launched. It would tell you what, it would be like, it was launched yesterday. Maybe that's just a Seamspark thing then? Because I've only, I've been crowdfunding. I think that was a, kick, that was a Kickstarter like Indiegogo years. thing. Ah, yeah. See, I, I used Indiegogo twice in like 2015 and 2016, but mm -hmm. I, I, will admit I have not looked closely at their platform in a while. I, I have issues with Indiegogo. So many. I issues. also have issues with Indiegogo. However, Indiegogo has an excellent app, which I definitely oh, miss. Do they? Mm -hmm. hmm. Like Seedenspark has mobile, so like you can do, I'm pretty sure everything on our site mobily, right. but it's just a mobile version of the website. Um, and, and I know app development is like a huge time suck and money suck. So, you know, right. there's, there's a reason we don't have one, but that was something I always liked about Indiegogo. Indiegogo has fraud issues. At least, I don't oh, know, not anymore, like a long time ago. Go to Zoom. Um, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, they used to have an issue where, so I had like a campaign that I worked on that was crazy successful because it was just a product. It was one of those product ones that just took off, you know? Um, sure. And so someone launched a duplicate campaign on Indiegogo and got like $5,000. Oh, wow. And they just like ripped off your yeah, Kickstarter? It, yeah, they just stole $5,000 from somebody, from people, and we couldn't get them to shut it down. It was, it took a long time to get them to shut it down, and then they wouldn't give us the information of who actually got duped into this campaign, you know? So we couldn't then contact them and be like, hey, you're not getting the thing that you think you're getting. Oh, that's too <laughs> Go bad. over here instead, get a refund from these people, and it was a whole mess. So then I did a test where... 
um, and my publisher wouldn't let me publish it. Um, so I probably shouldn't even tell you about it, but whatever, fuck it. Um, where I pretended to be their head of security and I created a fake account for a campaign <laughs> for nothing. The campaign was literally called Do Not Give This Any Money ever under any circumstances. And it went live and they let it go live. They approved it. Like, yeah, I don't think was, Indiegogo has oversight. They, they have no you oversight. Whenever you want. They have no oversight at all. And it was ridiculous. And we had been emailing this person. And I literally used this person's email address and like name to create an account on Indiegogo. And we, we discovered that it was easier to create a fraudulent account on Indiegogo than it was to um, comment on Pornhub. Because on Pornhub, they actually, you have to, apparently you have to verify, I don't know a lot about commenting on Pornhub, but you had to verify your email address. And And you don't have to do that on Indiegogo? No, at least you didn't back then. That's hilarious and terrifying. It's really terrifying. So I never, I've never consulted on an Indiegogo (laughs) campaign. I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. If you want to go into Indiegogo, find somebody else. Yeah, Indiegogo also just has the the baggage of flexible funding, which like artists love because it's zero risk for them, and oh, yeah. audiences hate because it's all because you're putting all of the risk on your supporters, and that is not a good method. Even if you're not using the flexible funding option, which I've seen, I've seen people do the all or nothing campaigns on Indiegogo, mm-hmm. but that's not what people associate with Indiegogo. So even if you're not using them for flexible funding. What right. are you using Indiegogo for? And that assumption makes audiences, especially strangers, which allegedly all these filmmakers want to contribute to their campaign outside of just like friends and family. A stranger's not going to give you money if you can get it, even if you can only raise 5% of your budget. I don't want right. to just give you $20 for no reason that you're going to keep, regardless of if you're going to give me this awesome sci-fi film you promised me. Fun fact, they announced that they were doing an all, adding an all or nothing model to shut me up in a panel discussion. That really when they announced it um we were doing a How panel was thing that? i was like oh it was so long ago um it was when i was i was in la for uh probably was like 2012 maybe 2011 something like that okay. um and that's when they announced it because one of their people was going to be in a panel discussion with me and a couple other people and it was like i think it might have been live streamed or something and they were like lucas is going to hammer us for this so they were like well, that's when they announced it <laughs> in panel <laughs> discussion. And I was like, wow, what power you wield? I it was weird. There, I was like, that's great, but it's still a fucking terrible model. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, that's the thing about it is that even if someone's like, oh, no, I'm just going to use Indiegogo, but use like the regular front end, then why are you going with Indiegogo? Yeah, then, <laughs> like, the yeah. only thing that Indiegogo has over anyone else is flexible funding. And flexible and just funding over objectively here. is not good. Exactly. Yeah, and I'd always tell people, like, if you say, if I say to you guys, say, I need $50,000 to make a, this sci-fi movie, and then I raise $1,000, I still have to come up with a $50,000 sci-fi movie. Like. Exactly. Or. And, and that's just, that's always going to be fraudulent. That's always going to be bad. Yeah, for it's not audiences. a good situation for anybody. It's really bad. All right, so enough of that. Um, I think this, we've been talking for like over an hour, so we should probably let you go and get back to your life. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? Anything you want to pitch for Season Spark? No. Or I mean, for yourself? Or for your, I, I, I hope your new Blippy podcast? My new Blippy podcast, yes. Uh, where I just interview exhausted parents over the phone as their toddlers scream in the background about their yeah. toddler's favorite you TV ship show. You them, ship them some wine first. 
and then <laughs> get and wine I use a crowdfunding campaign house. to pay for the wine delivery. Yeah. Like that's all because yeah. I already have all my equipment. I've got my hosting sorted out. I just need yeah. to spend money on wine. Yeah, and you definitely want video for that because then you want them to be like, oh my God. <laughs> just make it stop. See, the problem right now is that I'm liking this idea more than more and I don't have time to do it. Don't do this to me. <laughs> I hope that the pitch that we have just made is enough for someone else to take it off my hands because I absolutely want it to exist. I just do not want to be involved in it. Um, I hate editing podcasts already, so I would yeah. rather not add another one to my plate. Um, no, I, so I obviously would recommend Seed and Spark for sure. storytellers of all kinds to fundraise. And for I was recommending Seed and Spark. Exactly. But also I was recommending Seed and Spark before I worked for Seed and Spark because I, I worked for a different startup company company prior to this that had like some overlapping with Seed and Spark. And so mm -hmm. I had interviewed a lot of them. I knew Emily before I started working for the team. And I my experience with crowdfunding has taken a true 180 since I started doing it with Seed and Spark because I, like I mentioned, I'd done it on Indiegogo a couple of times, hated it, never made mm -hmm. any money, was just like such an exhausting and like frustrating experience. And the first time I ran one on Seed and Spark, like just getting the email from my campaign specialist that was like, hey, I really liked your, your, your project. Here are a couple of things I think you can improve, but like these are parts that I really enjoyed. I was like, holy shit, someone's paying attention. And they're actually like giving me advice. Like it's not just- yeah it was it was incredible and it wasn't just advice like they were explaining why they were giving me the feedback and so that also went to help me be a more confident crowd funder because i understood why things were the way they were i understood why a video should be x amount of time long i understood why i needed to be in it i understood like the benefit of incentives and why I shouldn't be offering a poster, a printed signed poster for $15. And yeah. somebody that was talking to me like some I of was us a made. Uh huh. Yep. It definitely was. I ended up losing money on my incentives the first time I ran a campaign because I like didn't understand how that worked, nor did I understand mm -hmm. that you'd had to buy individual poster tubes to ship them out to people. And poster tubes cost $5.99. Just pro tip for everyone out there. Um, but like, it made me feel not only like I was learning something and that I had more control than I thought I did over my crowdfunding process, but it also made me enjoy the process more because I understood the purpose of it outside of fundraising because fundraising sucks, mm -hmm. but audience building can be kind of fun because right. it allows you to be creative and it allows you to build people who love your work. And I am an insane narcissist. And so meeting more people that like my work is really validating to me and learning that I could do that and raise money at the same time was absolutely groundbreaking. And so like I, I recommend Seed and Spark because we're going to treat you like a person and we're going to treat you with respect and we're, we're not going to put you in a position where you're launching with no information. We are tr truly trying to set you up for success and we want you to be successful. And we have the data and resources to give you the best possible opportunity for that. So uh, hopefully, hopefully it hit us up. And what is the campaign success right now? Cause I know it used to be very high. I don't know if it's gone up or down. Yeah, it's still, uh, it's it's between 80 and 82%. Um, it, it kind of vacillates depending on the, the month, but um, mm -hmm. yep, still still at 80, 82%. And, and that's because of our personalized feedback because right. you know you, when you look at a campaign, even like the wildly successful ones on our platform and look at what they looked like when they first were submitted for feedback, it's a world of difference. And part of it is you just don't have all those like weird ass campaigns that Kickstarter and Indiegogo have where every, you look at them, you're like, this has no chance in hell. 
Right, exactly. Because one of somebody on our team, um, some of the time me, has to manually approve you. Like we, yeah. I have to say, I believe in you. And I believe that you have done the work that you needed to, to accomplish this. Because like we, when we take longer in feedback with people, like we, we've had people ask questions like, how often do you reject people? And we're like, we never reject anyone. Usually what happens if somebody chooses not to launch with us, it's because they have decided not to follow our advice. They launch elsewhere and 90% of those campaigns are not successful because we're blocking them from launching for a reason. And it's because mm -hmm. we want this project to get made, but this is not how you're going to do it. Right. We also want you to not have to like fund most of the campaign yourself because is that really a success? Yeah. I always told people that if you need your mother to give you money and back your campaign, then the campaign's already failed because your mother already supports your, whatever you're doing. Because yeah, exactly. Your mom's already going to watch your project. So yeah. what's the point of catering to her? Yeah. Don't cater to mom because mom's going to show up no matter what. My mother came to see me in a play where I cursed the entire time. It was literally about cursing for long stretches and she came to see that play and was like oh it's very nice it's very interesting <laughs> it's very that's creative. how my grandparents are my grandparents are i think very scandalized by most of the work that i do but they're so proud of it nonetheless there you go see that's not who you need to pitch pitch you need to pitch i always told people think of a, a dude in his his cubicle in nebraska who always wanted to do something creative but has this like job in insurance and is <laughs> bored out of his goddamn mind and just desperately would love to do something creative and is like, I can follow along this person who is risking their whole life falling apart and <laughs> having no money. <laughs> I'll give them $20 and then I'll keep my job in Nebraska. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much for uh, speaking to me. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, so uh, go to Seed and Spark. Check out what they do. Um, go and have them take your Blippy show to them. Be like, I want to make a Blippy podcast. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. You might uh, need permission I, I from Blippy. I'm not sure how that works. No, I don't think so. I think yeah. as long as you're not like fully ripping the audio from episodes. That's fair uh, use then, it, it's, probably. Yeah, that's fair use, baby. Oh, Absolutely. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's going to be great. I will not watch your Blippi podcast, but I will, I encourage you to do it. But will you listen to it? I might. I might. <laughs> you won't watch it, but you will listen to it. And that's the distinction you're holding strong to. Yeah. I might be drunk when I do it, but I'll, I'll at least check as it out. As it was meant to be. Right. A stretch goal is we'll send wine to all of the listeners of the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many state laws in violation there, but that's fine. Nobody will know. <laughs> Don't worry about put it. In a, put it in a flat rate box. Nobody will care. All right. Well, thank All you right. so much for having me. Thank you. All right. So that was a discussion with Bree Castellini. Don't hit the buttons on the keyboard. Um, from Seed and Spark, seedandspark.com. Go there. They have uh, very great resources if you're trying to get your project off the ground. It doesn't have to be film anymore. Um, and then Reese here is playing with his cars. And Reese, can you tell people? We're supposed to don't do that. We're supposed to tell people to subscribe. Can you say subscribe? Yeah. Subscribe. All right. We'll see you next time with the. Um, I don't know. We'll see what we're talking to next time. Yeah. Say bye. Yeah. Bye. No, let's not go bye. <laughs> yeah, you said bye already.